0: You're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to Abidechurchfl.com
1: and enjoy today's message. So we have the opportunity to have David Bradshaw with Awaken the Dawn with us today. I just want to share a brief story. Maybe a year ago, I think we were at the resting place. One of my friends down the road, Caleb Hires, they held a pre-rally there. And that was actually the first time I heard David Bradshaw speak and as he was speaking about like the global narrative and what God is doing, we had just kind of started the prayer room. If you don't know, we have a prayer room here, which the prayer room here at Abide is the backbone. I know many of you guys experience Sundays, but Tuesdays and Wednesdays it was, is what makes Sundays available the way that it is. Yeah. I believe that. So we had just kind of started with the prayer room, and I remember him speaking, and it was about 10 o'clock, and he's like, if you're hungry for Jesus, and I'm like, who's not going to respond? Like, so I came up to the altars, and I just felt like this burning. I remember weeping, and I remember the Lord asking me, Gio, will you believe me for 20 prayer rooms in Tampa? And I was like, I'm just trying to get one. Like, I'm just trying to get Wednesday nights going. But I got up, and I shared with one of our regional intercessors. I said, listen, God said he wants 20 prayer rooms in our region, and to believe him for that. Not that we would manage our own, but that we would believe him for our region to be covered in prayer and worship 24-7. So I just want to testify. Since that day, we I, don't, I think we maybe had two or three that were kind of operating to this day. Today there are fourteen prayer rooms in our region. So we we had a bite or a very small part of what God is doing in a whole in the whole region of Tampa. So I want to thank you, bro, for inspiring me. Um, we I've been to Fredericksburg, to North Carolina, I don't know everywhere you guys have gone because I just believe in what God's doing, and I believe that what God is doing in Tampa as we plug into what he's doing nationally we get grafted into a beautiful storyline that Jesus is narrating so I want you guys to honor Pastor David Bradshaw as he comes this morning can we just honor him
0: man I just love this house this is a special place I just want to encourage you to not take it for granted I'm sure you don't but just as a friend and a brother coming from the outside, I just want to say this is a, this is a special place. This is a unique place. Yeah. This is a holy place. Yeah. And you are in a divine storyline. And um, I believe that the Lord is raising up here an apostolic community. Yeah. And when I say apostolic, I don't mean that people are running around saying I'm an apostle. <laughs> I'm talking about a qualitative thing that the Lord is doing actually all over the world. You know, I appreciate what Geo said about national movements, global movements, but I, I want to say everything is about local movements. There is no national global movement. It's a bunch of local movements that are falling in love with each other. And that's what Jesus is doing. Small is the new big. Really. And what what was in my heart this morning was to share some blueprint scriptures that I think are critical for this hour that the Lord is highlighting for those that are building apostolic communities, communities that are hosting the presence of the Lord and that are moving in the great commission in the culture of family and the culture of honor towards one another. There, there is, there is a blueprint that's in Jesus' heart. And he's not looking for the smartest or the brightest, but he's looking for those that will say yes. He, he uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. One of my favorite verses, I don't know if it should be my favorite, because it's so confrontational. But 1 Corinthians 1, Paul, Paul says, or the Lord actually says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. That is such an intense verse, isn't it? God says, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And I think that every church in Tampa Bay, every church in probably America for the most part, church community, have good goals. Right? They have good outcomes. They want to see revival. They want to see people saved. They want to see God's kingdom come. They're Even, wouldn't you say, I mean, Across the board, this is what we desire. So the question becomes the how Jesus is going to facilitate that. Because the fact is that we live in the wealthiest church in the world, meaning the American church. We have resources. We have millions upon millions of dollars across the church, probably billions of dollars across the church in America. And our billions of dollars are insufficient in and of themselves, our brilliant strategic boardroom meetings are insufficient. Our, our, our leadership expertise is insufficient. And I believe in all those things. I, we teach our students leadership, uh, uh, leadership principles. They're valuable, but they're only valuable when they're submitted to a higher principle of reality and so what I, what's in my heart this morning is to unpack just a couple, two passages together, because it's one thing to come into environments like this and be like, man, that, that feels good. Doesn't it? Feel, it does feel good. The presence of the Lord, we were born for the presence of the Lord. So when you walk into a place where the Lord is manifesting himself, you go, wow. You, well, sometimes it doesn't feel good because he also has a sword <laughs> that he's an expert wielder, but, but we were born for the presence, and so when you get around the presence, you go, yeah, 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 but we need to, and, and I know this house is already doing this, I'm coming as a brother and a friend, not as an expert, I just want to come as a brother and friend and pull out a couple passages and go, let's, let's reconnect, these are probably passages you're familiar with, but let's, let's connect with them because we need more than, oh, that feels good. Like We need to understand what's going on and where it's going so we can build with faith because what's happening in this church community is at the point of the spear for what Jesus is doing in the earth. What's happening in your community is not just some small thing somewhere outside of Tampa Bay. It's at the point of the spear. I'm convinced of this, of what Jesus is doing in the nations of the earth. He's raising up places like this in China, in Africa, in Asia, all across Asia, all across the Middle East. And we're all finding one another. And we're discovering God's backwards, upside down ways. Um, and, and you know what? The Lord's doing miracles along the way. I feel like God's going to give financial miracles to you guys. Because you've said yes and because you don't love money. He's looking for people that that are free from the love of money so that he can trust money to people. And I just believe he's found that here. And and I, this is crazy. This this is really personal, but I'm going to say it out loud. Something just happened to me in the last couple of days that is absolutely stunning. I was with, actually, I just flew in from Los Angeles, um, Orange County. It was the craziest thing. My family's here in Florida. We were doing this extended month-long trip, actually. It's been wild. And uh, a friend of mine named Brian Brent passed away a few weeks ago. Brian was one of the, he's one of the most amazing men I've ever known. Um, He is one of the most catalytic, pioneering fathers. Uh, There's very few people like Brian Brent. He put so much courage in my heart being around Brian. And uh, the Lord took him home. And I went, so I I decided I've got to be at his funeral. So I flew out for 24 hours. I flew out Saturday morning, did the funeral, did a red eye, came back here and doing the service. But something happened in the last two days to me that is stunning. I was with Lou Engel because Lou, some of you guys know Lou. Lou was at this memorial service with us. And um, I'm just talking to Lou. And we're in this dialogue about what the Holy Spirit's doing in our nation and some really amazing things are beginning to unfold 2022 is a time of acceleration we've gone through the fire and the lord is now accelerating his purposes there's certain prophetic narratives that are coming off pause right now really powerfully and so lou and i are dialoguing about this and what had happened the day before so friday i got a phone call from someone, and this just—and I'm going This is really personal, but I'm gonna share it because it's a testimony. Somebody called me and said the Lord told them to pay my salary, so that we could do this movement. I was in am I'm in—I'm in complete shock, and uh, I'm standing there with Lou. And that same thing happened to Lou. I didn't even think about that. It's never even crossed my mind. But years ago, the Lord said to Lou to go to the National Mall with the call and this whole thing. And I guess it was 1999 and 2000. And a lady approaches him and says, "The Lord said to pay his salary so something could happen with the youth of America." And we're in a divine whirl. Whoa, we're in a divine whirlwind because God is about to awaken the youth of America. He's about to awaken the youth of America. And I was wrestling and I actually said to the Lord in private, I said, Lord, this is my fleece. I need you to help fund this. Because I'm giving you my yes, but I'm submitting it in private just before the Lord. I said, Lord, here's my fleece. And then when you get a phone call, I didn't ask this lady to pay my salary. That's a miracle. I'm not, that's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in total shock. So I'm standing there with Lou at Brian Brent's funeral. One of the most powerful funerals I've ever been to. I mean, it was revival. People are weeping, shouting, the presence of the Lord's falling. I mean, you can imagine the keynote speakers were Andy Byrd, Lou Engle, and, you know, whatever. So it was, it was exploding. I mean, it was, it was holy because Brian was a seed that went into the ground. And the Lord took him home, but unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But this is a rapid acceleration of the very dream that Brian—Brian Brian was the main catalyst that led to the send in Arrowhead Stadium. And the fact that he would pass right when it's coming to fulfillment is not a coincidence. So we're in this, and Lou and I are in this conversation. And it suddenly hits me—I had a phone call the day before about the salary. I'm talking, and that happened, and I told Lou, and you guys, some of you might know Lou. I mean, he literally starts shouting. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's shouting. I'm like, I'm like come on. And it hit me that, that this, is, this is holy. And I, I called this lady as I was driving here. I said, I told Lou what, what you told me on the phone you're going to do. And, and, uh, and she, she was so moved because of God's faithfulness. Because that's a step of, that's a massive yes from her heart. And it's a massive, and the Lord's just looking for yeses. Yes. He's not looking for the smartest and the brightest. He's looking for people, and when you give him a yes, he does all the heavy lifting. Yes. He will do all the heavy lifting for people that are fully abandoned. Yes. And this is a house of people that are fully abandoned. And so yes. that was, that's really, I didn't ever think I would share that. I just felt, in. The, it's just personal, and we're family. And I just felt like I wanted to share it because... Um, God is about to release finances to you guys. Supernatural provision. I just feel the Lord on that so strong because you're free from the love of money. Because you've humbled yourself and you've lived the priestly life. Zechariah 3 and 4. You've maintained the charge before the Lord. You've kept the charge. And because you've kept the charge, the Lord is going to give you a place among these. And, uh, and this is a time of... Uh, of divine promotion. Of course, we know divine promotion means the cross. That's what divine promotion means. Everybody wants divine promotion. They have no idea what they're talking about. If you want divine promotion, it means you die more. You go lower, not higher. That's, that's divine promotion. But it is a season of divine promotion. Because there's also spiritual authority in divine. New realms of authority. And I feel like... Gio, I feel like you don't belong to even just one city. I know you're called here. I mean, this is not me prophesying you're leaving. This is just simply saying, I think the Lord is giving, he's going to give you a voice that even transcends this house because he wants to replicate what's happening here. And and as a sign to you, as a sign to you, he's going to begin to release supernatural provision. So that, see, that was, that was my fleece. I went, God, I, I'm, I'm giving you a yes. And honestly, the yes is a yes. If God says do something, you do it. Yeah. But I... But the Lord's also a father. And so I just went to him and I said, Abba, I need you to help me pay for my family so we can do this thing. And then, and then you get a phone call like that and you go, what just happened? Yeah. Anyway, praise the lamb. Yes. <laughs> He's faithful. Yes, he He's faithful to his purposes. And, and one of the things that God put in my heart, I've been sharing with our staff, is this concept called apostolic passion. Apostolic passion. It's a phrase that Floyd McClung used. He was a YWAM leader. He's also passed in the last, I think, year to be with the Lord. But he coined this phrase, apostolic passion. He wrote an article on it. You can search it. And the idea of apostolic passion is not work yourself up emotionally. The idea of apostolic passion is daily choices that are oriented and informed by the primary goal of Jesus being worshipped in the nations. Apostolic passion is daily choices that are in alignment where your primary metric through which you make your daily decisions is is that the glory of God would fill your sphere. Yes. Or your city or the nation. That becomes the primary metric. And I feel like when we get into apostolic passion, we get into alignment with heaven. Yes. And apostolic passion isn't just get really excited. Apostolic passion is how you make decisions. Yes what you do with your time it's also when you come to the front and dance and worship and but it's more than that it's how you use your time and your money and your decisions and if you bring your decision making into alignment where the primary objective the primary reality informing every decision you make is will this contribute to the presence and the glory of God filling my sphere if that becomes your metric if that becomes your your primary goal and objective, you get aligned with heaven, and then you become free. You become free because suddenly your life is no longer about your life. And, and then you're free. And so I feel like that phone call for me was a testimony to, when you, when you pursue apostolic passion, there's an alignment that comes. And I feel like that's coming to this house because you've done that. So, and, and, and again, I, you know, I think about the Apostle Paul. I can't imagine the Apostle Paul being primarily consumed or concerned with just building an organization. Can you? I, I don't see the Apostle Paul being primarily concerned with how his ministry is doing. I see him primarily concerned, number one... The knowledge of Jesus because he said everything's done compared to that yeah. and then I see him concerned for the churches and for the the name of Jesus to be known and I think that 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 apostolic alignment is coming but I, I just I want to highlight two passages I'm just going to ask for God's grace I'm going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to be the teacher today um, I just I sense the Lord is just brooding over this room right now and um, we're in the school of the Holy Spirit together, and you might be familiar with these these couple passages. But I'm asking I'm asking the Holy Spirit to teach me this morning because, like I said, this this takes more than oh that feels good. I like the way the worship is, like that's not bad. But that's not we got to graduate past that, and not just the preachers and the pastors and the elders, but the church at large needs to begin to graduate past. I go where I like the worship. We got to get a vision for the blueprint of heaven. We got to get an understanding of what, the, what Jesus is orchestrating. And it's really not complicated, actually. But we must get clarity to enter into the next season. And so these, these few passages, I think, help us with that. The first one is Acts chapter 13. And there's many passages, aren't there? So these are just... But I, I have been rocked by this. these three simple verses of Acts 13, 1 through 3. Simple verses. These three verses are revelatory and revolutionary. When you understand what the Lord is building on the earth. Let's just read the three verses. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord with fasting. As they ministered to the Lord with, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. These three verses are so critical that we understand. A little bit of backdrop. Some of you know the Apostle Paul knew on the first day of his conversion that he was called to the Gentiles as a light, as a messenger. Because Jesus told him day one. Remember Acts chapter 9. He's on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up saves him, converts him, blinds him for three days, and tells him on day one, I'm going to make you a light to the the Gentiles. He knows he's called as a missionary to the Gentiles, day one. But it was upwards of 14 years between that conversion and Acts chapter 13 when he's launched. What was Paul doing for 14 years, give or take? Scholars estimate it was about 14 years Between his conversion, that's a few chapters in the book of Acts, but it's 14 years of time that went by in in that process. And the reason that this is important to me is because, or I think it's important to the Lord, is because God wants to raise up Antioch communities all over the world like this one that are at the point of the spear of his strategy. You might think, it's easy to think that the biggest and the largest entities are at the point of the spear. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. But I'm convinced that small is the new big, and that the Lord is wanting to raise up Antioch communities as a blueprint all over the world that are living in these very realities. So Paul was actually uh, saved probably 14 years, give or take, before this moment when he's launched into his missions movement. Now, he was preaching the gospel throughout that whole 14 years. It wasn't like he waited 14 years to talk about Jesus. But he didn't get launched into his assignment until he had an Antioch. Paul doesn't become Paul without Antioch. The thing about Antioch communities, apostolic communities, is that it's uncomfortable at times. Uh, on a lot of levels, but Paul, what did he do for 14 years? The crazy thing about Paul is that he ends up, anybody know where he ends up before he's in Antioch? Tarsus. He's probably about 40 years old, they think. He's at Tarsus. That's mom and dad's house. He's not married, single. He's Saul of Tarsus. He's moved back home and he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And what did he do for 14 years? We don't know everything, but we know he went away to Arabia, for, to the deserts of Arabia. There's a three-year window where he was, what, what happened there? He says, I was entrusted with the gospel. It doesn't mean you need 14 years before you do any assignments. It just means there's a process in God. And Paul doesn't become Paul without Antioch. And the process of God over a 14-year period of time. And so I'm convinced when you look at the testimony of the of the book of the church at Antioch, it was the first major Gentile church in the earth, predominantly Gentile. And so Paul was living at mom and dad's house, and Barnabas has to go get him. He goes. It's going on. I've got to go find Saul of Tarsus. I've got to go find Paul. Knocks on his door. Paul, it's happening. You need to come. Paul relocates and joins the community. He doesn't even join as the leader of the community. He joins on a team of leaders in the community. There's so much in this, isn't there? And he he shows up at Antioch. Now, why? Here's the question. Why was the church at Antioch ministering to the Lord. That's worship, prayer, hosting the presence. Why were they living? It doesn't say that it was a one-off. Why were they living that way before the Lord? What was going on in their heart? Was there a crisis? Was there an issue they were dealing with? What drove them to the place of ministering to the Lord with fasting? It wasn't even about trying to get Paul sent out they minister to the lord as an end in and of itself and and here's here's what i'm convinced of if you look at the biblical narrative going all the way back to the to acts chapter 1 and 2 jesus goes i want you to go to jerusalem i want you to wait there until i until the holy spirit comes upon you and you become my witnesses in judea samaria and to the ends of the earth and they go into the upper room and the temple and they minister to the lord yeah. And there's only 120 of them after 500 people had seen Jesus in a resurrected body. 120 was the result of Jesus' earthly ministry. And they're in the upper room, and they're ministering. That's worship and prayer. It's drawing near. It's hosting God's presence as a primary focus. And as they're living that way before the Lord, you know the story. Upper room, mighty rushing wind. In one day, 3,000 are saved, not because Peter is the best preacher, but because the Lord rent the heavens and, and rested upon a group of 120 people, and suddenly there was an authority that transcended anyone's personality. And in one moment, 3,000 were added. That was not a one-off event. That was a prototype and a pattern. Because you see it continue. Acts chapter 3, they're going to the temple every hour of prayer. They're constantly engaging. Acts chapter 4, they get their first wave of persecution. What happens? They didn't get on social media and complain about their persecutors. They went back into the prayer room. And their prayer meeting shakes with the glory of God. They're all filled again. Same guys, filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they continue to speak the word with boldness. And then it goes from addition to multiplication. A lot of scholars believe that by the time you get to like Acts 6, where you have Ananias and Sapphira, you know, or Acts 7, he says they believe there's upwards of 20,000 believers in Jerusalem at that point. It wasn't like a small side room movement anymore. The Lord had taken them from addition to multiplication, but it didn't come primarily from the personalities or even the strategic planning, which is important. It came from the presence of God in their midst. And that became a prototype, and he goes on right all the way through. You know, even, even Paul... Saul of Tarsus conversion. How did Saul get saved? He was the primary persecutor of the early church. He was the face of persecution. If you said persecution against us, Saul of Tarsus. He was the most identifiable face of the persecution of the early church. What did Jesus say to do when persecution hits? Pray for those who persecute you. This is a word to the American church right now. We're having like this much persecution and we're freaking out. Like, I get it. We live in a democracy. We should be engaged politically. I believe in that. But I ask the question, if you feel resistance in the culture, are you praying for them? Or are you just mad at them? Serious question. Because the early church, it doesn't say it explicitly, but Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, pray for those who persecute you. Here you have the guy that's the primary face of persecution. What do you think they were doing for Saul of Tarsus? I would submit he was probably the most prayed for human being. And then he's walking down the road to Damascus to put a bunch of Christians in jail and the Lord Jesus personally disrupts his life. Some of you have sons and daughters you're praying for that way. I want to tell you something. God's going to disrupt their life. I was just with Lou in Dallas. It's so funny. I was with them in like two different cities in like a week. And and he was telling the story of this friend of mine named John Hamill in Washington, D.C., John, John and Jolene. Their son walked into their living room on Christmas morning and said, I'm no longer a follower of Jesus. I'm no longer a believer. I'm denying the faith, and I'm going to go live the way I want to live. Christmas morning. And they're devastated. And what do they do? For one year, every, they called it Turnaround Tuesday. One year, they would fast every Tuesday, and they would cry out for their sons. You know, one year later, Christmas the next year, this young man is in his room and has an open vision, and Jesus walks into the room. And he looks at the young man, and he goes, it's time to come home. One year later, he's telling his parents about his open vision. And fully returns to the Lord is now... A, a fully given follower of Jesus. I'm just saying there's a, a movement of prayer for our sons and daughters. That's a side note. But I, I, a lot of our intercessory prayer movements are about issues. Intercession is not about issues. It's about people. Seriously, we pray about issues. I don't even like the term prayer topics. Sometimes I tell our team, I'm like, I don't want to have topics. Like, abortion is not a topic. Gen Z is not a topic. America is not a topic. It's real humans that need to be saved. And so intercession is not topics. Anyway, I think it was the most prayed for man. And then Jesus intervenes, saves Saul of Tarsus, makes him the apostle to the Gentiles, even then, it, he, he needed an Antioch in order to step into his assignment. He doesn't get to do it alone. A lot of us, we want to find our calling, and we never find it until we're rooted in family that's serving one another. We'll never find our calling. And, and this pattern just keeps going. I mean, all the way to Acts 10, the first major Gentile salvation right there at Cornelius. You remember the story? Cornelius, the Roman centurion... Angel shows up, and he goes, Cornelius, because of your prayers and your alms have gone up as a memorial to the Lord, Peter's coming. And he gets the gospel. But, but do you see what the Lord was doing? There was a culture he was highlighting. He saw Cornelius, and he goes, that guy's walking in my culture. That's where the gospel's going to start. And so I'm convinced in Acts chapter 13 that there's a recognition that there's no human remedy for the breakthrough in the nations that we want to see. That's in God's heart. How many of you know there's no human remedy for America? There's, There's really no political remedy. Ultimately, again, I believe in being engaged in politics, but all of our efforts are insufficient without a manifestation of God's glory in and among Antioch communities. It's at the point of the spear. I'm submitting it to you guys. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's upside down and backwards. And his strategy has Antioch communities. So what was going on in Antioch? Number one, there were prophets and teachers together. That's amazing, actually. Maybe that's, maybe you're not tracking with why that's amazing. But prophets and teachers can be oil and water. Yes. Yep. Prophets look at a clock and they see some prophetic reference in the time. Yes. Teachers are like, that's a time. <laughs> right? Like, these, these, these are the kinds of things. It's, oil, it's, like, it's like, what's the Spirit saying? That? And then the teachers are like, it doesn't even matter. What's the Scriptures teach? And they're like, but Antioch had prophets and teachers moving together. Yes. Number two, they were multi-ethnic. That group of people in that time had no business being on the same team. You had, you had uh, Simeon, who was called uh, Niger, which means he was black, He was African. he was African. You had Jews and Gentiles. You had... Greeks, Jews, Gentiles, African, marketplace people, missionaries, all in one family. That's what you had in Acts 13. And what were they doing? They were ministering to the Lord with fasting. I'm convinced of this. They looked back on Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 6 where the apostles said, if we don't, stay in the ministry of prayer and the word, this thing's going to plateau. They looked at Acts 10. They looked on and the Lord made it clear. There's a culture that he lives in. It's not earning something from God, but there's a blueprint from heaven. And he's looking for communities that will minister to the Lord with fasting in the context of family and relationship and team. And that's what's happening here at Abide. God's raising up a blueprint I just I want us to connect that this is bigger than oh the worship's good there yeah, come on. Come on. The, the the preaching's good there it feels good when I'm there. I can feel the love of God that's all great and it's all true but we but the Lord wants you to get in a narrative with him. Yeah. He wants your church family to be in a narrative. Antiochs are going to go. Are going to explode everywhere. Yeah. They're going to minister to the Lord with fasting. What that means is just like Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, the Lord is going to begin to rest upon them. Yeah. It's going to begin to dwell upon them. The distinction of them is not going to be just their gifting. It's going to be the personal presence of yeah. Jesus that sets them apart from everything else. So you know, I, I, I was just in Dallas a couple weeks ago, and a friend. That, uh, I love, up, I love the upper room community, yeah. and Michael Miller's become a friend, he, and uh, he t- one day we were riding in the car, and I was like, can you just tell me your whole story? By the way, that's a great thing to do, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Find out each other's stories, and there'll be an encounter with the Lord in it. I just tell me, and he starts talking about his journey from Church of Christ, where they didn't even play instruments, to leading upper a room. And I won't tell the whole story, but the Lord hijacked his life. And there was a six-year, I don't know if you knew this, but there was a six-year period of time where somebody gave him this house of prayer called Upper Room. He didn't even name it. Some guy already had it, and he goes, hey, do you want it? And he leads it. He feels the Lord say to lead it, I mean, to, you know, to help steward it. And for six, get this, this is crazy. For six years, the Lord would not let them do any media or promotion, not even a website. One time he tried to make a website just so that people could find it. And immediately the Lord, some prophet calls, and the Lord's like, you can't do it. No websites, no media, no production, no music, no albums. But it's growing. And kids are coming from everywhere. And what they did is for six years, they went in the laboratory of how you minister to the Lord. For six years. In fact, uh, he's he, he doing this leadership teaching and he put these, this graph up of Jesus' leadership juxtaposed with men's leadership. I loved that. That was so compelling. He talked about how men's leadership is focused on presentation and Jesus on presence. On. Yes. And, and so we're in, and he was telling me six years of just, and then one day his executive pastor guy has a dream. And in the dream, Jesus walks up and takes an HDMI cable and sticks it in his mouth. And they realize it's time to start communicating. And so they make one YouTube clip. He goes, let's just capture what the Holy Spirit's been doing in the laboratory. Literally, it was a laboratory. They'd go, they minister to the Lord for a few hours, go in a side room and dialogue. Where did the Lord show up? How do we steward it? Why did you sing that? Why did you pray that? How do we, and they did that for six years. And then they make one video clip of what happened. He said, just capture what's going on. The, the, there was no promotion, no marketing. They post one YouTube clip. And the thing goes to millions of views in like weeks instantly from nothing. They did a second one. The same thing happens. The Lord just went. (laughs) And now now their problem is that once you get successful, it gets harder. And they're doing a good job of it. But I'm just saying it's harder when you're successful in terms of visibility. And and now the challenge is keep it pure. Which they're really working on. They're really doing. But it's really hard. It's much easier to be hidden. Everybody wants to be known. You don't want to be known. Like you think you want to be known. You think you want to be manifested to people. It just makes your life harder. I'm telling you, it's true. I've had a little bit of it, not not a lot, but a little bit, and it's just harder. It's not easier. So I think that testimony of Upper Room is something that's compelling for communities like this one right here. Because he's going to do it all over the world. You guys tracking? Yes. Antioch communities are the blueprint. It's not just a. It's not just something that feels good. It's a strategy from heaven that he's replicating. And I'm I'm appealing to you at a to get in the narrative. Yes. Yes. Give money. Yes. Show up at prayer meetings. Yes. Build relationships. Get coffee together. Become friends. Serve each other. Because. There is a bigger narrative going on. It's at the point of the spear of, of Jesus orchestrating a billion soul harvest. Yes. Seriously. Communities like this are at the point of the spear of Jesus' strategy for a billion souls to come in one massive wave into the kingdom of God. It's happening all over the world. And, and I just want to declare to you, this is about to get replicated. Whatever you do, don't stop ministering to the Lord with fasting. And doing it in community, in teams, in family. Okay, that was the first verse. (laughs) The second one is, let's go back about 2,000 years before that one was written. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42 is, I'm, I'm advertising, I'm not going to try to teach through the whole chapter right now. I think I might have brought this chapter up here before, but I, I am falling in love with Isaiah 42 right now. Again, it's so important that we move past, oh, that's a trend, or that feels good, or I like the way that is, and it appeals to me. Like, we got to get in the narrative. But it's not, when you say global narrative, it can be misleading because global narrative sounds so big that we're not part of it. But the global narrative is local communities moving in something together. That's the global narrative. It really is. So when we say global narrative, it's, it's you. You're the global narrative. This church family is the global narrative. Yes, there's a global narrative, but the global narrative is very different than we think. I told our team, uh, because we have a so-called national movement. But I told them, I don't want a national movement. I want local movements. Yeah. I just want to serve that. If we can serve that, I'm in. Yeah. But as soon as this thing becomes about building a big organization, I'm out. Yes. Yes. Because there's something bigger going on. Yes. What the Lord is doing is raising up Antioch. Weak. Don't you love that verse where Paul goes, not many of you were wise. Right? That's us. We're in that category. So Isaiah 42, I'll probably just take 10 minutes on this. And, and I just, and then I want to, and then I want to pray. But I, I just, I want us to see, Isaiah 42 is one of these glory chapters. 2,500 years ago, Isaiah saw it. He heard the Lord. Isaiah 42 is about how God is going to bring justice to the earth. It's a justice passage. Isn't there a cry for justice right now? Isaiah 42 is God's justice strategy. It's how he's going to make wrong things right. But when you actually put your eyes on it, it's stunning, his justice strategy. Because he starts with this. He says, behold, look, Jesus, my servant whom I uphold. He says, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out or raise his voice. He describes his first coming. But he says, the beginning point of the issue of justice, because the world is in consternation, because by God's grace in 2020 and 2021, he's kicked out the props globally, and everybody knows something's messed up. That's his grace. He got us off balance. I'm not saying he caused the pandemic exactly. I'm just saying he got the whole world off balance as a gift to the world. So we could realize the need for justice. The world knows justice is needed. Now the definition of justice gets all over the map sometimes. Justice just means wrong things are not just forgiven. I was still, we were having family like Bible study the other day, and I'm like, guys, this verse is about Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you; He came to actually make everything wrong right. He came to take everything that the the satanic powers have orchestrated and literally turn them on their head and make them right. Jesus is justice. amen. So it starts with, get your eyes on him. And here's the amazing part. It's a justice verse. And he goes, this is the one in whom my soul delights. It's the father's love for Jesus. That is the topic of justice. In John 17, 23, the final prayer of Jesus before the cross. He says, Father, you have loved them as you have loved me. Speaking of you. So the topic of Trinitarian love. Somebody asked me the other day. I was down in, where was I? Houston. Last Sunday. Last Sunday. And I was preaching on John 17, 23, where the Father, Jesus says, the Father loves them in the same way that the father loves Jesus, speaking of you and me. And the pastor of this church had texted one of his leaders that morning. He said, John 17, 23 is the word. He didn't even know. I was going and he goes, this is the most shocking verse. How could it possibly be that we're wrapped up into Trinitarian love? So when it says, Justice begins with Jesus, the Father's delight in Jesus. We have to understand, we're in that equation. It translates to intimacy as a justice strategy. Can you see it? Because later on, he goes, I will hold your hand. It's intimacy, so there's a lot to say there, and I'm not going to say it all right now. I just want to advertise it. You get down to verse 10. Chapter 42, verse 10. There's so much to say because in chapter 42, it starts with Jesus and the Father's delight and the Spirit being on Him, the Trinitarian. Can you see the Trinitarian relationship right there? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the delight they have in one another. It's not a side topic. It's the topic. We want justice. That's the main topic. Really, I I mean it. That's not just for theologians and abstractions. We're going to get caught up in the love affair of the Godhead and intimacy becomes the justice strategy. Yes. For people that are called to steward millions of dollars, for people that are called to influence, intimacy is the strategy. Yes. It's the way God works. And that's what Jesus, the Father's saying. He's speaking to the Son. And then in it, he talks about the meekness of Jesus towards people. A bruised reed I won't crush. He goes, he's tender broken people i ask you in the justice cry that's coming out everywhere everybody's got a justice cry now no matter what political side you're on you got a justice cry it's all over your social media probably or many people's but in the midst of it i ask this question are you tender with broken people because in the administration of jesus justice he's tender with the bruised reed he's tender with them it's a shock The guy that God has raised up. See, justice is not a set of principles, it's a man. God's remedy for the nations to make every wrong thing right is a person, it's a man. He is justice, He is the plan. And in the midst of this plan, you see that He's tender to people that don't deserve tenderness. That's where we fall on our face. And we love him. Because the only one that has the right, none of you guys have the right to tear down that other person. You don't have the right to because you have your own issues and you know it. Jesus is the only one that has the right. And instead of tearing down broken people, he serves them. This is the justice movement. What I wanted to highlight was this. Out of that conversation within God's being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, this is not a theological abstraction. This is our life. Study John 17. Get in the conversation. Let the love of God become your primary objective. Seriously, what if our main life goal was to love? Not be successful. Those are all tributaries. What if the main life goal was, I just want to love? Yeah. And what if we fulfilled the prayer of Jesus, the last sentence before he went to the cross in John 17? Father, that they would love me, with this, that the same love you have for me would be placed in them and I in them. What if the main objective of our life was to love God the way God loves God? What if, that's, what if, what if everything was plumb lined to that? Yes. That's apostolic communities. And then to serve each other and love others. The bruised reed. Anyway, here's a strategy. You guys ready for this? Listen to the the shocking strategy. This will blow your mind. He goes, justice is coming. Justice is a man. He's going to bring justice. And then in verse 10. Now, sing to the Lord. (laughs) Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. Mm. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout even from the top of mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Do you see the blueprint? It's all eyes on Jesus. Jesus is justice. And then what happens in the text? The entire world is filled with incense. Singing, praying communities. Can you see Acts 13 right in there? The top of mountains, the coastlands, the Middle East. This is a prophecy. This has not happened yet. Can you see where, who would have come up with a strategy where the execution of making all wrong things right has a singing? Creative, praying, weeping, travailing people in the middle of it. Who comes up with this stuff? If it wasn't in the text, I, don't, I, I like music. I wouldn't even believe it. God's ways are not our ways. I want to get in the... What we just did this morning, that's not just nice worship. God is about to fill the earth with a sound... can you see it? The top of mountains they're going to shout. And it's not just in little prayer rooms. It's actually cities lifting their voices. What's it going to look like when Tampa Bay is lifting its voice? 14 prayer rooms. And then all the churches, see the prayer rooms are are forerunners. They're breaking it open, but this thing's going to go to the megachurches, it's going to go to the streets, it's going to go to public places. What I'm saying is that there's a festival of the glory of God that's about to hit the earth as a justice strategy to awaken a generation. and it's not just something that feels good, it's a biblical prescription. God leads the procession this way. The audacity of Jesus to lead this way.) I A lot of us you may not be a musician you're like oh you're saying it's all about no I'm not saying it's all about music I'm saying it's about the presence but in that environment one of the things that's going to happen is a new sound is going to come it's going to fill the earth and then in the midst of that sound the Lord as you see the text the Lord begins to shout And then if you read the rest of the text, it starts describing scenarios around the return of Jesus. What I'm telling you is that this movement of Antioch communities that are ministering to the Lord as family, serving one another, and this worshiping, praying, creative, spontaneous movement is not a fad that's going away. It's not something that some charismatics invented over in the corner. I was just with a bunch of worship leaders in Houston, some of them of large churches, and I just said, hey guys, have you guys noticed that spontaneous singing is now suddenly a thing everywhere? Why is that? Is it a trend? Or is Jesus orchestrating something? And I'll submit to you that he's orchestrating something. And again, this is just kind of a teaching. I didn't plan to do it this way. I just want to get these verses out and get rooted so we can get in the narrative with the next level of faith so we can build with faith knowing that we're part of Jesus' blueprint for the billion soul harvest. And I want you to see it with your eyes in the text, not just feel it when you walk in the room. And you're probably familiar with some of these verses. And there's many, many, many more verses. But I I just, I want us to connect it. You may be like, I don't even, you may be here at Abide and you're like, this place is a little interesting. What are they doing? Well, I'm not saying this place or any place has it all figured out. We're all in process. We're all learning. I'm not saying anybody's doing it perfectly. I'm just saying there's a culture. There's a sound. There's. There are values that Jesus is highlighting in groups of people. It's not about doing it. It's about becoming it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to sing a song. It's another thing to become the song. Yes. And then the song comes from here yes. instead of just here. Yes. That's what's coming. And you have that in your midst. But it's going to increase. It's going to be in public places. It's going to be cities singing, not just individual singing. Seriously, can you hear this? It's a strategy from heaven. I remember years ago, um, we had this crazy idea to pray 24-7. And uh, I'd never, I never really met anybody doing that, except I'd heard of Mike Bickle. And I visited their trailer one time. But somebody was like, let's do 24-7 prayer. So we start doing this thing. And it's like, it may, this is in 19... 19- it was 2001. I mean, and it was the most bizarre. Now it's normal. It wasn't normal. Everybody was like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. So we we start doing this. And I remember one time, first of all, people start getting saved like you would not believe. I was like, this isn't supposed to be an outreach. The Lord missed the program here. (laughs) This is a prayer meeting. This is not an outreach. That's another topic. But I remember one night we were hidden. Man, don't despise hiddenness. We're a bunch of 17-year-old girls are in a little prayer room pouring out their heart to the Lord. Like three in the morning. And one of them is like, I I had this vision of this lightning bolt that came down. She drew it, because we used to have paper all over the wall. She drew it on the wall, lightning bolt. She said, permanent impartation. God's going to do something permanent in our city. Lightning bolt that stays. Can you imagine? God does something, and it stays permanently. It was an interesting vision. She just saw it in her mind's eye when she was praying, so she drew it. And these little girls are there at 3 in the morning, and they're going, God, send the lightning. And while they're praying it, lightning strikes the building. They're in. Like for real. And it puts a hole in the ceiling above the pulpit of the church. Right above the pulpit. We had to stick a bucket down there to catch the raindrops. A couple weeks later, we had Alan Hood, I think for the first time, and a bunch of others, first time they ever came. We didn't even know these people. And we realized they began to describe to us this DNA that we'd never heard anybody articulate and it became a permanent impartation. It lasted. Because it was more than, wow, the lightning struck the building. There was an understanding of the culture of heaven that began to permeate our strategic planning. And this this just began to, I'll never forget the night, that same time. The girls had the vision, the lightning strikes, Alan's, all this. We're in this total whirlwind. And I remember we wrote this, we wrote songs. And we wrote this one song and... It was the first night of this. We had a large gathering at the end of it. And it was the first night, and we're singing this song that we had just written. And all of a sudden, the, the glory of God enters the room. Because we've been crying out for three weeks for an open heaven in our geography. Isaiah 42 is not just about sounds. It's about an interaction of heaven and earth. It's not just about music. It's about the interaction. Because from God's person proceeds lightnings and thunderings yeah. and sounds and voices. It's the prophetic spirit. It's proceeding from God. And, and it's, it really is this idea of open heavens. How many of you know open heavens can be geographic yeah. and corporate? It's just, that's language we use all the time. You, you sing it in songs. These people are like, Lord, give us an open heaven. They sing it. If you walk up to most of them and say, what is that? They go, I don't know. But open heaven is a biblical phrase. And the idea is like what Paul said in Colossians 3. He goes, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. In other words, you're actually engaging with heavenly things. And in worship and prayer and community and love toward one another, what begins to happen is things going on there begin to come here. It's called an open heaven. I don't think we understand the authority that our sound has when it's connected in purity. Seriously, I don't think we have any idea. I remember that night, all of a sudden the Lord came into the room and three people went into open visions, eyes open. They'd never had this happen before. And they saw hundreds upon hundreds of angels all over the place. And every time the sound of the Lord would rise, the angels would shoot through the roof and go out on assignments all over, I guess, all over the world. That night marked us. Because I realized something bigger is going on. And I I, I want to invite us in to go after this with boldness. Go to the school of ministry to the Lord. Do it in the context of love for one another and meekness, Isaiah 42. Just, maybe Isaiah 42 needs to be a template for us. Yes. All eyes on Jesus, meekness towards others, the song of the Lord and ministry to the Lord. Maybe there's something in this that I, I'm, I am in love with this. It's like a glory passage to me right now. It's It's actually changed my life, especially because the Lord said to us, take tents all over America and go into public places. And I'm like, this is in the Bible (laughs) but that's only gonna increase and I want us to just I want us to have faith for this I I want us to go after the open heavens in Tampa Bay like can we go after it as a culture not just an event as a culture we're gonna live as an in-out community because what we want in our region is an open heaven over the region. I've got an open heaven in my spirit because I have direct access to the Lord at all times. Because of Jesus. But I want it for I want it for our community, for our city, for the next generation, for Tampa Bay, for regions, for corporate groups of people. We want to see what's going on there, begin to come here because we're living in such a way that we are interacting. As a community with him as a lifestyle. Like for real. And that becomes a complete game changer. And so what's in my heart this morning is just to say to abide. What is happening here is in the blueprint. And I don't mean that presumptuously. And that's not an arrogant thing for the leaders here. They wouldn't even say it this way probably about themselves. I'm saying it as a brother and a friend. What's going on here is a prototype. It's not perfect, but it's a prototype. And I'm asking everyone to lean into it. Those of you that, you might be like, well, I can't come to Tuesday prayer meetings. Then when you're driving to work, turn it into a prayer meeting. Become the open heaven. <laughs> Begin to live in it. I'm telling you, something, something is, there's a sound of hunger that's beginning to rise. Seriously, something is shifting right now. I was just with a... Our, a bunch of students back in Fredericksburg before we left for our trip, and I was teaching a class on this, and and all of a sudden this sound of hunger hit the room. Like tears, desire, groaning, songs, hit and for I don't even know how long it went. It just wave after wave, this sound of, of hunger began to hit the hit the community. I just wanna pray. I want to pray. I, I, for that new song to hit this place in a new way. Not because we want to get better worship, but because Jesus wants to live in Tampa Bay. He's looking for Antioch's people that will fully give themselves to him. And and I want to say this. A couple months ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in a regional expression of worship and prayer. It was like citywide, it was a regional thing, and I'm standing in the midst of it, and I'm watching it in a dream. And in the dream, I stood up, and I opened to Romans chapter 12. And I read it to the group of leaders from across the city. And all of a sudden, as we read the verse, the, the Lord suddenly broke into the meeting, in the dream. It was a very vivid dream. You know, sometimes you have those dreams, where you're like, whoa. That was the Lord. Well, that's the way it was. Listen to what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. Present your bodies. It's not just your songs. It's not just how loud you pray. Your body is your being. In other words, it's your everything. You're presenting yourself as the worship. Where are the communities that they're not just giving songs, they're giving themselves. The songs are actually the overflow of themselves, presenting themselves. They're becoming the song and the sound and the prayer. Lou and I were just talking about this last night. I had this dream where I was in his house in the dream, and there's son sitting there, and his son swallows a nail. And suddenly it's me that swallowed a nail. And I paint. And I woke up the next morning. I'm like, what was that dream? It was a bad dream. And Lou goes, no. It's the cross. And I felt like in that window, the Lord transitioned me from intercessory prayer to intercessory life. Still doing intercessory prayer. But our life became the offering. Which means, God's going to deal with our hearts if we want this. See, It's not enough to say, oh, they're all going to get it together and we're going to become a resting place for the Lord. What the Lord does is He comes in and He goes, if this is what you want, it's going to start in your own soul. I'm going to possess you completely as an individual. I'm going to come after stuff. I feel like the Lord is coming after stuff right now. But when He's coming after stuff, it's not because He's upset necessarily. It's because He's Because he likes you. So I want to, this morning, I I don't know. I don't even know how to do this. I just want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because I think something's coming to this community. I think Isaiah 42 and Acts 13, many other verses. You were born to live in this open heavens reality. In cities, campuses, regions. Tampa Bay, I'm telling you, God's eyes are on this region. Something's happening here. Can we stand stand up together? Or if you want to lay prostrate, whatever you want to do. I just want to ask the Lord to touch us right now. I'm asking you, Lord, to mark us. I ask you to raise up an Antioch right here in this church family, right here in this region. I ask you to raise up a people that present their bodies as a living sacrifice and I ask you to release the song the song of the Lord the sounds of hunger yes. the cries for more yes. let it come lord God I present my body as a living sacrifice right now that there was a prophetic song earlier about preparing for the Lord's coming that song was like fire do you guys hear that prepare Get ready. It's just a matter of time before the Lord begins to show up in ways we've never seen him show up before. How many of you know that? That's not possible. It's coming. The Lord's going to begin to show up in ways we've never seen in our lifetime. I don't know exactly where or when. I just am telling you, the Lord is going to begin to show up in ways that we have not seen in our lifetime. Somewhere, some city, some region, May it be here that the Lord begins to show up in ways where we walk out and no man gets the glory and you walk out and you go, God just did something that none of us have ever seen in our lifetime. That's coming. But we actually have to prepare like it's coming. We have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Come on, not just our songs, but ourselves. Lay your hand on us right now, Holy Spirit. I ask you all over this room that you would raise up a holy-given people. Come, Holy Spirit, right now to to abide church community. Come right now, Lord. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, God, we ask you to mark us today. This is an Acts 13 community. And, Father, now I ask you for the tangible manifestation of your presence in this community in new ways. We're going to become ascending sending community gospel community can we just begin to pray if you have if you have a prayer language you can use it what let's just begin to lift our voices for a
2: minute a
0: global festival of your glory in Tampa Bay oh, a global festival of your glory in Tampa Bay God God, give Tampa Bay a festival of your glory, a lifestyle of your glory in Tampa Bay. Neverites that stay before you in this city. We want to become the song. We want to become the sound, God. Break in, Lord. Let your presence come now. Come on, let the sound of hunger begin to come now.
2: So, tarro, co, so, da
0: Come on, if you can, let's lift our voices. Just, just begin to speak your own. Just let the sound, the prayer of hunger, begin to come. Just engage the Lord. If you want to sing, begin to pray. <laughs> come on where real quickly where are the songwriters just keep singing in the spirit where are the songwriters just raise your hand right now any 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 musicians or songwriters just put up your hand i'm going to pray for pray for the lord to touch you right now father i ask you Lord, I remember James Ryle's vision about how the Beatles amplifier was in the closet of the church. And Lord, you're about to release something. And right now, I ask you for these musicians. Rush upon them, Lord. Thank you for the sons of thunder that you're raising up in the earth. (laughs)
2: Say, a la my la la la. ma, We lay it all down, 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 lay it all down.
0: on five more minutes can we just do it right now lift your voice if you can we desire you As you put your spirit upon Jesus to execute your justice, put your spirit upon us, put your spirit
2: upon us, Lord. (tries) Purama ma 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 se ma 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 ma
0: Ask you to transition this church into a new place. I pray you'd shift the season, Lord.
2: Yeah. Refresh the weary ones.
3: Between you. you can have all my good parts. You can have all my bad parts. In between you.
1: I just wanna I just wanna sing a song in the house. This is actually a song that was that was came out of this house, but I just heard us as, as a community just declaring it. So I just want us to lean, in. All it says is you're my king of kings, Lord of lords, beautiful everything. I just, I just want us to corporately like carry this in our hearts. This is why God has planted us in this community to establish an altar. And all of the beautiful things that happen are a byproduct of us beholding him and being captivated by him. So father, we just say yes and Amen. You are enough. Say to keep it pure solely about you God that we would be captivated God by a call that you've given us as a community to minister to your heart and trust in the promise that as we keep you at the center you will touch the masses you will touch the broken the prodigals the prostitutes the trafficking God the addiction the brokenness the school systems I pray that you would make it a corporate thing not just a leadership thing not just a pastor thing but that we would carry this as a family oh we love you we love you we trust you and we just say God you can trust us as a community you can trust us committed to keeping the main thing the main thing father we just ask you for mercy for our region so many pointing of fingers we just ask you for mercy mercy over our region over our children over our schools we ask you for mercy mercy that you would open eyes even in this room spiritual apathy and complacency and the bloness. We ask you for mercy. Mercy. We thank you, Father, for family. That you've knit us together. It's so much more than we ever even dreamed, God, and we just thank you god father i bless every family here and their children their ministries and their families god i pray that they would build an altar for you at the center of everything they do that what happens in prayer room would go from tuesdays to wednesdays to thursdays to fridays Father, we pray for every church in this region, God, that revival would hit every church. That you would touch every leader and pastor, God, in our region, God. That you would expand them, God. That you would encourage them, God. That you would give them hope, God. That you would knit us together. That the church in Tampa Bay would be one church. We thank you, Father. We bless them. We bless them. your leadership and that no matter how dark things look god you are in control i pray encouragement father over every heart in this room i thank you that no matter what they walked in with today they don't have to leave with it we surrender a fresh god to graduate from surrender. We don't graduate from yielding. So God, we ask that you would take us there. One more time. One more time. We'll end with that. You're my King of Kings. You're my King of
3: Kings. Lord of Lords.